Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast, and thank you for joining with us to worship and learn more about God. We are so excited to have you be a part of this week's service. For more podcasts and services from past weeks, or to join us online on Sunday mornings, check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Now, enjoy the message. Um, throwback songs this morning. Anyone? Anyone? Let's go. That was so awesome to hear some of those songs, um, particularly the last song. I loved how TJ set that up, um, talking about how the Lord is, is doing something new in us and continuing to do something new inside of us. Yes and amen. Yes, he's doing something greater and greater and greater. And I kept, I had this thought backstage, like um, if he's doing that inside of us, right? Can you imagine what he's going to use us to do inside the world? Because don't think for an instant that all, he's stopping with the church. Like he's, he's doing something in the church first for sure, but he's going to take what God is doing and he's going to move it into other places in the world. And he's going to do so through us, the church. So I just love that. I get so excited because what he's doing in us, we, we um, conceptualize it, we hold on to it, and then we take it out into the world around us. So um, I don't think by the looks of your faces, I don't think you're convinced, but that's okay. I have 35 minutes to try to convince you otherwise. So, well, welcome to Renaissance. My name is Jeff. I am one of the pastors here at the church, and it's uh, my tre uh, treat rather, and pleasure to lead our time of Bible study this morning. So if you have a Bible with you, we're going to be reading out of Luke chapter 4, Luke chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one underneath the seat close to you, probably, underneath the seat there. It's a hardback black Bible, and you can use that Bible to flip through and uh, uh, follow along with us. And if you don't own a Bible, we would love to give that Bible to you. So you can take that home with you, write your name in the front with crayon or whatever and hold on to it. It's yours. If you own a Bible already and just forgot to bring yours, you can use that, but leave it for the next person. Is that okay? So um, I want to read all of Luke chapter 4, verses 38 through 41. This is the passage that we're going to spend time in this morning. Um, if you don't have a Bible, we'll put the words on the screen behind you, and you can just follow along there. But let's start here in verse 38 of chapter 4. And he, and the he is Jesus, and Jesus arose, and he left the synagogue, and he entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to Jesus on her behalf. And he stood over her, and he rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now, verse 40, when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases, they brought them all to Jesus. And Jesus laid his hands on every one of them and healed all of them. So good. Verse 41, almost as a little side note. Oh, and verse 41, and demons also came out. <laughs> Crazy, right? Crying, you are the son of God. But Jesus rebuked them and he would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. So there's the work that is set before us. Um, I just want to pray that we receive what God has for us this morning. I believe 100% in God's sovereignty and the way that he operates in people's lives. It's quite possible that there's someone in the room right now who probably didn't have a desire to go to church this morning, um, but God wants to say something to you. God wants to say something to all of us, but I know for sure there are certain people in the room right now that God is going to speak to specifically. So would you pray that we might all hear? Lord, thank you for our time this morning. 
God, we ask that our eyes be open to see, that our ears be open to hear everything that you have for us. Lord, we love you. And um, our worship this morning was about you and the work that you do. And so, Lord, we're thankful for everything that you've done. We ask that not only would you continue to take us to new heights and to us to, to greater things, Lord, but you would take the church, your bride, to greater things and that we would be hope for the world around us with the message of Jesus. We love you, Lord. We thank you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In uh, 1896, so 140, 150 years ago, whatever that was, a Swedish chemist and entrepreneur named Alfred, we'll just call him Alfred, um, he was a very wealthy man, he died in 1896. And to this day, we still celebrate part of his death, and we'll explain that in just a little bit. But Alfred made most of his money, and he was a very wealthy man. He made most of his fortune primarily from his invention of an explosive material that would become dynamite. So he invented dynamite. Of course, it didn't take long before the militaries of their day to uh, begin using his invention, and it thus increased the killing power of the military's weapons. His invention so magnified the killing power of weapons that some trace the history of modern warfare back to this man, Alfred. Now, eight years before Alfred died, he opened the morning newspaper one morning and saw a headline that said, the merchant of death has died. And he thought it an interesting story. He begins to read the article and learned that it was actually about him that uh, an editor of the newspaper had erroneously published his own obituary in the newspaper. Alfred's brother had passed away, but they put his obituary in the newspaper. And as he's reading this article, he has this epiphany of sorts, this revelation of sorts. He was able to see for just that moment what the world around him, what his peers thought of him. And it was encapsulated in that, that, that title of that article, The Merchant of Death Has Died. Alfred, knowing that his inventions has been used to kill thousands, if not millions of people on the earth, he felt some sorrow by this. Alfred was raised Lutheran. He was confirmed as a child. Um, some argue that maybe he wandered from his, his faith rather later in life, and that's quite possible, I guess. But he knew Jesus, and he knew enough to know that this is not the legacy that he wanted to leave behind. So he called his lawyers the next day and he changed his will. He changed his will and he said this, he says, when I die, and he dies in about eight years, he says, I want all of my fortune to set up a foundation. And every year I want this foundation to give out five prizes to individuals who, who do something for humanity that make humanity better. So he changed the way that his legacy was going to be thought of, or at least he hoped. So he wanted awards to be given in the field of physics, in chemistry, in physiology, in medicine, literature, and the last one is peace. He wanted an award given out every year for someone who made peace on the earth. Thus the man who invented dynamite forever will link his name to the cause of peace. Now, some of you may have already picked up on this, but the, the, this man's name was Alfred Nobel. So if you've heard of the Nobel Prizes and the Nobel Peace Prize in particular. Um, 
since they started giving out the Nobel Prizes in 1901, so he died in 1896, about four years later, the foundation was started and they started to give out the first of these Nobel Prizes. From 1900, 1901 to 2000, they tracked how many recipients of these awards were actually Christian. And this is the stat that sort of shocked me this week during my study. Over 65% of the Nobel Prize laureates were Christians. So think about that. Here's a man who's taking his fortune to, to give an award, a financial award, to someone who's done something significant for the humanity around them. And then 65% of those people that, that gained that award over the last 100 years or so were believers in Jesus. Is this kind of shocking? I don't know that it should be shocking, but it shocked me. Because I would think that what the Lord is trying to do on the earth, he's doing so through the church. I'm shocked that it's not 100%. Anyone? Anyone? But it is a high number. I, I just want to, all of that is to say this, that the church has always been intricately intertwined with the formation of society and culture. The church has always played a part in our culture, particularly in, even in our Western civilization. After the fall of the Roman Empire in the Middle Ages, the church preserved was a sort of the unifying force for all of Europe. It held Europe together, became the unifying force there. The church preserved both literacy and art during the Middle Ages. This time, the, the church and the architecture, it created some of the most iconic architectural feats that has ever been produced by Western civilization. If you think of the Gothic or the medieval architecture of Europe, that was all put together by the church. The church inspired philosophers and scientists alike. It was just an inspiration for the people around them. And the church has been a major source of social services, things like hospitals and schools and food banks and sanctuaries and shelters for the impoverished. All of these things have been birthed by the church these last 2,000 years or so. The church has always had an impact on society around it. And I wouldn't think that would be any different in our time. I think the church has a tremendous role in the world around us. Um, even this morning as I'm praying for the future of our country, do you guys know we're entering into an election year next year? Who's excited? <laughs> No, nobody, right? But we can enter into whatever is happening around us, hopeful, spirit-filled, you know, excited about the prospects that the Lord is doing. That the church might find a voice in the world around us. But also the church, um, and this would be maybe my thrust for today, it brings hope and help to society in this regard, is that it shares the truth and the love of Jesus to the people around us. That the church has a message. The message is Jesus. The church isn't the hope of the world, just so you know. We already have one. His, his name is Jesus. But the church heralds the name of Jesus. The, we in the church, we take the message of Jesus and hope and salvation to our coworkers and to our families. In fact, this morning I was praying with a friend of mine and I was saying, if I could open the eyes of the people in this church for that one thing, like I can't preach the message of salvation to everybody that you know. I just cannot. Like, I, I can do this on Sunday, and I do this okay sometimes, right? But you have family members that I'll never meet. 
You have coworkers that are going through really hard times that you get a chance to share hope and faith to. This message of what Jesus has done in your life has he so transformed you, it lives inside you, it has marked you, and you carry it with you, and it's up to you whether or not you choose to share it or not. It's up to you whether you choose to share that hope it's up to you whether or not you take the coworkers that you work with who just drive you insane, anyone? And you pray for them. My old job before I became a pastor here, um, I worked in the, uh, the secular world or whatever, and uh, I used to go into the office before my boss would arrive sometimes. And I would go into his office particularly, and I would put my hands on his chair, and I would pray for him. It seems so strange, doesn't it? But I would get there early and I would just pray for him. So the church has a role and a responsibility. And I, I think this passage today speaks a little bit about that. So back to Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 38. Let's see what the, the author Luke is, is trying to persuade us to know here in this passage. Jesus, verse 38, had just left a synagogue. Um, synagogue is sort of an ancient uh, what's well, a Jewish kind of form of, we call it church, let's just call it like a church. It's, they would gather there on the Sabbath, the day of rest, and they would come together for Bible teaching, Torah reading, um, probably uh, fellowship, prayer together. Jesus had been going to the synagogues for some time. Luke has told us this, and he's been teaching there, and he's been telling us that the people have been amazed at his words. That when Jesus teaches, like people are just blown away. That he, like the authority that Jesus teaches from. So Jesus had been teaching probably all morning or whatever it looks like in the synagogue. He just left the synagogue in Capernaum and he heads back to Simon's house. Simon, as many of you know, is actually Peter. Jesus will change his name to Peter sometime later. He gives him a nickname, Peter, which means the rock, which is a cool nickname to get from the Lord, I'm just saying. And, and anyways, but they go to Peter's house or Simon's house Mark's gospel tells us that his brother Andrew also lives here. And, and Mark's gospel also tells us that there are two other disciples, James and John, that are with them. What we don't read in Luke's gospel is that Jesus had already gone to Peter and Andrew and James and John and said these words to him. Why don't you follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. So these are now some of Jesus' earliest disciples. So after the day of teaching, they go to Simon's house. And it says that Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever. Now, in today's day, we think of a high fever, we think that, well, there's medicine for that. We can take a fever reducer, something like acetaminophen, maybe ibuprofen or something, or if that doesn't get better, we can always go take an ice bath, or we could do a number of other things, and then eventually we could go to the, the dock in a box or the ER. But in their day, they don't have that. And what Luke is trying to inform us of is that Simon's mother-in-law is near death in this moment. This is beyond just a high fever. This is something that will probably take her life. Her body probably won't be able to recover from whatever is causing the high fever. And Jesus has entered into the house and she is sick with a high fever. And it says in verse 38 that they began to appeal to him, Jesus, on her behalf. Now, we don't know who they are. We're going to assume that it's Peter and Andrew and James and John and maybe some other cousins running around in the house. We don't know. We don't know for sure who they are that is appealing to him, but we know for certain who wasn't appealing to Jesus. It for sure wasn't the woman with the high fever. 
that she was so sick, it's possible that she didn't even know Jesus was there. If she did know Jesus was there, she probably doesn't know Jesus is healing people and doing all of these miracles that he's been performing. She has no idea. She's sick in bed, probably close to death. And Jesus' disciples, people close to him, come to him on her behalf and ask Jesus to intervene. Ask Jesus to do something. Verse 39, it says that Jesus stood over her. Now, Luke is a physician who's writing this. I get this picture that he's given us a picture of what the physician Jesus looks like as he leans over his patient and he rebukes the fever that is inside of her and it leaves her. One of the other gospel writers says that Jesus reached out and touched her hand when he did this. I think Mark's gospel tells us that not only did he touch her hand, but he actually lifted her off the bed as he rebuked the fever inside of her and she recovered. And then Luke picks the story back up and says that she immediately rose and began to serve them. Consider this, that um, most everyone that has heard Jesus teaching and the miracles that he's been performing up to this point have been moved with amazement and wonder but not Simon's mother-in-law. She was so moved by the miracle that Jesus performed in her life, she just began to serve him and show hospitality to him, which makes us think, should make us think, how are we being so moved with the miracle that he's performed in our lives? Is it moving us to serve him? Is it moving us to tell others? This goes back to the intro. Are we so moved by the work that Jesus has done in our lives that other people need to hear about it? She was struck by what Jesus has done and she immediately began to assist Jesus with what he was doing. Hear me when I say this, Jesus has a plan for the earth. God has a plan for the world through his son Jesus. We are called to assist him in this work. We are called to help him. And it's gonna come through boldness, it's going to come through a quickening of our faith. It's going to come from an understanding that Jesus is real and he's actually done something so strange, so miraculous, so beautiful in your life that the world is, is desperate to hear the message. If you've not had an experience like that, we need to go out for tacos because I want to introduce you to who Jesus is and your life will never be the same. It's true. I heard it. Can I get a second? Yes. Amen. All right. Motion carried. So, verse 40, it says that when the sun was setting, all those around who had any sick with various diseases brought them to Jesus. Luke is giving us a little timetable here that the, uh, the Sabbath is coming to a close. Most, most Jewish people um, that obeyed the Sabbath regulations, they couldn't travel more than uh, a little over half a mile on the Sabbath day. It was considered work if you walked too far. And because it was a day of rest, they weren't supposed to be working, so they just didn't travel very far. It was really a day of just, you know, Netflix and chill, if you know what I'm saying. Maybe. I don't know. Anyways, <laughs> that sounded wrong. Anyways. But as the, as the sun was setting, it says that the people were freed up from the regulations of the Sabbath 
and they began to drag all of their friends and their coworkers and their family members who were sick, and they, they brought them to Jesus because the word was spreading that Jesus had healed Simon's mother-in-law, that Jesus can cast out demons, that Jesus is performing miracles. And when the Sabbath was closed, people from the surrounding region just in, in droves brought all of these people to Jesus. And it says that he laid hands on them in verse 40. And says that he healed them all. Now, in the Old Testament, we don't have any stories of someone laying hands on someone else. I think there's a couple obscure stories in the Old Testament. But there's nothing about healing by laying on of hands. But in the New Testament, we see this often. We see Jesus doing it. Here, we see it, Paul, laying hands on people and praying for them. And so I just, I'm going to just take a moment as a little excursus here just to talk about kind of why we do the things that we do in church. So if you've been coming to Renaissance before, you know sometimes we'll pray for people up front or we'll pray for people in the prayer room. And when we do so, we ask permission. Like, can we put our hands on you when we pray for you? Now, when we're doing so, we're using passages like this as an example for us. It's not magic, like, we don't believe we have some power that we're giving to you by touching you. We're not doing that. But in faith, we're putting our hands on you as a biblical example, and we're praying that God would heal you, or that God would answer your prayers, or that God would do something. In fact, sometimes churches do this. We'll stand up here, and we'll pray for people, and we'll say, if you want to outstretch your hands towards the platform as we pray for them. Now, that's strange, isn't it? Say yes, it is strange. It is strange. <laughs> I'm a pastor of a church. I think it's strange, right? But we, we do that. We, we stick our hands up and we pray. We follow Jesus' example. That there's something in his hands that healed them, something in the power that he had. And so he laid hands on them and he healed them all. Every one of them received wholeness. Every one of them. There wasn't a person that walked away that wasn't touched by God. There wasn't a person that walked away that didn't get exactly what they needed from God. Some, some of us think that Jesus is different than he used to be. Like, okay, man, I go to church, but Jesus doesn't like, like, it's just not working for me. Like, I'm still broken. I still need, I, need, I still need stuff. And I go to church all the time and it doesn't seem to be answering like the questions that I have. And God doesn't seem to be showing up. And so some, you have this idea that God isn't the same that, that he used to be, that Jesus isn't the same person. Because we read here that everyone that he touched was healed. That everyone that came to him was healed. And I'm just here to tell you, I don't think he's changed at all. I don't think he's changed at all. Like we, we might be missing what he's trying to do in our lives or the timeline might not be exactly right. But I assure you, you come before Jesus, you will get exactly what he thinks you need. I don't know what that is for you. For some of you, it's just another, it's strength to endure whatever you're going through. For some of you, it's faith to believe that God hasn't forgotten you. For some of you, it's, it's faith to believe that God is going to bring that wayward child back into faith in Jesus. For some of you, it's, I mean, I don't know what it is, but there's something that God can do in you and you haven't seen it and, you believe, and you're beginning to believe that Jesus doesn't do that anymore. And I'm here to tell you, that's not true. Of course, Jesus does those things still. Of course he does. Again, if you don't have stories like this in your life, let me take you out for tacos and we can discuss this. Because I could give you story after story of what God has done. Not just in my life, but in the lives of people around you. 
You, you are missing the greatness of who God is because you're so stuck on, on, an, on uh, self-reflection or um, I hate to use the word narcissism because it sounds negative, but some of you are narcissists, right? <laughs> but like some of us are just so focused on ourselves, we, we can't see what God is trying to do in the greater picture. That sounded strong. Apologies. Hear my pastor's heart when I say these things. Like, you, you don't know how I've prayed for you. You don't know how I've prayed that God would liberate you from the things that are shackling you, from the lies that are being told to you. Like, everything, you have no idea. God wants to free you from that. Verse 41, back to demons. That's my favorite thing to talk about here at Renaissance. It's not true. I don't ever talk about demons, but we did last week, so why not continue it this week? But it says that the demons came out of Jesus. Or, can we edit that part out? When Jesus prayed for others, demons came out of them. Thank you. Yes, I am, I am many things. A heretic is not one of them. The demons came out. This is not to imply that all sickness is caused by demons, although we do have some New Testament scriptures that sort of allude to that fact. There's a story in Mark chapter 9 of a, a young boy who was both mute and deaf, and he'd been so for, since he was a child, and Jesus came and, and healed him and, and rebuked the demon that was inside of him. And when the demon left, he got his hearing and his voice back. So there's something that's maybe connected with the two, but not always. But he rebuked these demons from speaking because they kept coming out saying that Jesus was the Christ, he was the Holy One, and he rebuked them. And I, I thought that was so strange, and it just hit me last night. I'm, this, is a, this is a true story. I'm laying in bed. Um, uh, my wife's been out of town. She's coming back from Europe today, so I've been eating really bad. Question for you. Is it okay to eat Oreos for breakfast? Just throwing it out there. I don't know if it's true. I haven't done laundry for a week. If anyone's helped me clean a house today before my wife gets home, I would love the help. Um, but I'm laying in bed, and uh, since Stacy's not there, I'm just kind of listening to some podcasts or whatever. Um, and this passage popped into my head. I'm like, Jesus, why are you rebuking the demons from speaking? Like, the things that the demons are saying are, is true. Right? Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Holy One. He is the Anointed One. And then this revelation came to me. Jesus would say this, if you're paying attention, if you have ears to hear, I would like you to hear this. That Jesus will have a witness on the earth as to who he is. But it will not be evil spirits and demons. That it will be the church. That it will be his bride that will go out and profess the goodness of who he is. It will be the people who he has saved and redeemed. They will be the ones to cry from the rooftops and the mountaintops that Jesus Christ is the Holy One, the Son of God, the Anointed One, the Messiah, the one chosen from the beginning of the world to redeem all of mankind. We will be the ones to declare it, not some evil spirit. Amen? Is that good? I don't know where that came from. We're going to give that one to the Lord. That was amazing. So we want to carry the voice of that witness with us. In the world. We, the church, have some responsibility. And so I want to kind of wind down. I have a few minutes left. Another verse or two that I want to give you. This idea of going to Jesus on behalf of others in the church, we call this intercession. Has anyone heard of the word intercession before? Intercession or mediation. It just, you know, you're, you're going before the Lord on behalf of someone 
else. And we see intercession taking place here in this story. When the others were concerned about Simon's mother-in-law and they mediated her healing through Jesus. They interceded to Jesus on her behalf. Now we see this. But we see this a lot in the Old Testament as well, in the lives of Abraham and Moses and David and a bunch of the Old Testament prophets. We see it in Luke's story here, but we see it in another story that I'll close with here. It's in Acts chapter 12. And the story is something like this. King Herod has been killing some of the disciples. James, the brother of John, has already been beheaded or killed. Um, and, and Peter, Simon Peter, has been thrown in prison because he's been teaching about Jesus. And Herod is angry at these people going around teaching about Jesus. And so he throws um, Peter into prison. And he has him chained in a prison cell. He puts a guard on each side of him. And then there are sentries at the gate outside the prison. And it says, while Peter is in prison, this was happening. Chapter 12, verse 5. It says, while Peter was kept in prison, earnest prayer for him was made to God. By who? The church. By the church. Now, for sure, Peter was praying for himself. Amen? Wouldn't you be if you were in prison? Uh, I think even the Bible says that um, he was waiting for the festival to be over so that he could bring Peter out to the public, which I think just speaks to his public execution. execution. Herod was looking forward to killing Peter. But while he's in prison, the church is praying for Peter, interceding for Peter, mediating some rescue or something on, on, on his behalf to God. And it says that, and, and if you read the story, that an angel comes to Peter in the middle of prison and he pokes him while he's sleeping and says, get up, bro, put your clothes on, get your shoes on, it's time to go. And, and Peter stands up and there are two prison guards next to him, still sleeping. He stands up and there's light in the cell around him from the angel and he doesn't know what's happening. He thinks it's a vision, he thinks it's fake. And, and the angel's like, let's go already. And they begin to walk out. The cell opens all by itself. They walk past the sentries outside the gate. It wasn't until he's in the city does Peter finally realize, oh my God, this is really happening to me. This is real, this is not just a vision, this is not some dream. I'm outside the city and there's no alarm bells or nothing. So Peter finds his way to the house where he knows some of the people in the church were holed up. And he goes to the gate and ding, 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 and he knocks on the gate. And a servant girl named Rhoda comes to the gate and she hears Peter's voice and she recognizes it. Read this in verse 14. It says that she recognizes Peter's voice and in her joy, she did not even open the gate for him. I love that. She just freaks out and runs back to tell everybody else that Peter's out of prison. They go back to her, verse 15. They say to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting, you don't understand. Peter is there. And they're saying, no, it's not. It must be an angel or some apparition or something. Verse 16, but Peter continued knocking. And when they opened, they saw him and they were amazed. A couple things here. Um, sometimes when we intercede on the behalf of others, we, we don't even believe God's going to do what we ask God to do. Like 100% they're saying, God, would you free him? We don't want his head to be cut off in a few days. We really want you to rescue him. And then kaboom, knock, knock, knock. Peter's knocking on the door and they couldn't even believe it. The very thing that they had been praying for was happening in front of them and they couldn't even see it. I'm telling you, God answers prayer. He does so. You and I sometimes don't have eyes to see it. This is why I pray. God, open our eyes to see. Open our ears to hear. We want to know what you're up to. Christ, as we know, in the 
scriptures is, is called many things. And one of the things that he is, is an intercessor and a mediator on our behalf. A true statement would be this, that if we are not born again, if we are not born again in faith in Jesus Christ, that we all too are in a prison, much like Peter, and we are chained by our sins, sitting in a prison cell of shame and sorrow and regret. There's no way of escape or hope for us but Jesus. That without Jesus, we have no hope. We are stuck. TJ did such a good job reminding us of the work that Christ has done for us. That his death on a cross, his burial and his resurrection, right? And the faith that we have in that story to be true is, is what God uses to make us new. That God places his spirit inside of us at this point. We have the power, as TJ was saying, to become to change, that the, the, the power inside of us to change is the Spirit of God, and He's doing something unique and different. And this story that He's placed inside of us, much like Peter's story, can you imagine the bros he ran into at the coffee shop when he says, I was in prison a week ago, and an angel came and kicked me in the side and told me to put on my Nikes and to leave. Like, I thought it was, I thought it was make-believe. I didn't know what it was, but it was real. Can you imagine the stories of our coworkers and our family and our friends when we sit beside them and says, dude, I was so bound in sin and dark thoughts and all the things that I was doing in my life, I felt shame. No one knew it. My, my own wife didn't know. My own children didn't know. My own boss didn't know. Whatever, whatever your story is, but you are held into something and, and God wants to come and rescue you out of that and you cannot save yourself from it. It's only something that, that he can do. Wait for it. It's, it's something he's already done for you. It's, it's finished. These are the words of, of Christ our Lord on the cross. It is finished. Sin no longer reigns on the earth. Death will no longer reign on the earth for my people if they have faith in me to believe. Our only response is to believe, to accept the free gift of faith in Jesus Christ. And to have the shackles of sorrow and shame and regret and bad decisions and the wake of debauchery that is your childhood or your teenage years or your college years, whatever your story is, man, God is changing you if you would let him. He is. And should you live to be 70, 80 years old, he will give you a story to tell everyone at the coffee shop, to everyone you work with, the people you love and know that they need Jesus too. He will give you a story to tell them. Hear me, I love you. Bring your friends to church on Easter Sunday. Bring them, invite them all. We're expecting a crowded place. Easter's so special to me. I became a Christian on Easter Sunday, 1996. This is my story, yes, okay. Bring them here, but don't stop with that. Bring them, I'll embarrass myself. It'd be a lot of fun. Easter's a blast, right? But you're gonna have to tell them your story at some point. Better yet, you're gonna get to tell them your story at some point. Lord, we pray for boldness. We pray for witness. We pray for strength, Lord. We, so many of us are in valleys, Lord God. We are in dark places. We're, we're struggling with loss on so many fronts, Lord God. We need help. So we come to you asking for help. And Lord, we know that we're not the only ones who could benefit from who you are. So Lord, we pray that you would give us 
the boldness to proclaim the truth of Jesus, that you would give us the friend or family member or coworker to take out for lunch or coffee and to just share hope to them, man. We're not asking you to make their car payments, right? We're not asking you to dig a trench in their backyard for their indoor plumbing or anything. We're not doing it. All we're asking, Lord, is that you'd give us strength to just share a, a message of hope to them. God, I'm asking that this church renaissance be a church of hope, that this be a sanctuary, a place of hope where people can come who are weary and they could be encouraged and moved on. I'm play, I pray, God, that this be a church of, of signs and wonders, of miracles, that this be a place where the spirit is free to move, that this would be a place where Jesus is exalted. This is a place where people are changed. This is a place, uh, uh, a truck stop, if you will, where people come to fuel up and move back out into the world to change the world. Lord, we believe that you're doing something awesome on the earth. And so we thank you for all of that. We know, God, that there is nothing in this world that can stop your message from going forth. Darkness is expelled by light. It just is. And, 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 and darkness doesn't even get to argue the point. You flip on a light switch, it's done. It's over. The light has come. And the Bible even says that when Jesus came, that the people were living in darkness. The Bible says that, that the people were dwelling in darkness and a great light shone about them. Jesus is that light. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining with us today. We would love to pray for you and make a connection with you. So please check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Here you can ask questions, request prayer, find past messages and podcasts, or support Renaissance through online giving. We can't wait to hear from you. 